Hello. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to promise to try to stay on the actual sermon that I have prepared today because last night my wife is preaching in a different church this morning and we were looking at it together and now I have her sermon in my head. Um, It's good to be with you this morning. Isn't it weird (laughs) with the weather? It's weird to go through this. We've had people from out of town staying with us periodically over the last few weeks and every one of them is like, I thought... They're like, yeah, and then that's all we need to say. That's right. We prayed and we got rain. Well, I'm, it's great to be back with you uh, this morning. We're finishing up our foray through the book of Nehemiah today. But f- before we get there, I want to reminisce a little bit with you. When Maureen and I got married... Now, 16 years ago, um, we were living on the north side of Chicago, um, on the near north suburb of Chicago. We had to be kind of in between where the seminary was, where we were doing our master's degrees, and where we were in ministry in downtown Chicago. And we happened to get married and be looking for a house around the time that was before the massive real estate boom. And so we got in a little bit early, and because the, you know, the market hadn't exploded yet, and because we had a little bit of help from my parents, we were able to purchase a postage stamp size home. Um, it was a cute little home, but it was a thrilling experience to have a home, to have a place that was our own. This was before we had kids, and we thought, Man, we could, we're settling down. We have a place to call our own. We were invested in this place. A lot of the money that we had saved, you know, in ministry, it's not a lot, but we saved some money, and we set it aside, and we were so happy to own a home. We had so many memories in that place. We had a small porch in the backyard and a little backyard where we thought, you know, our kids could play as they were little when we had kids. There was a full basement, which is essentially doubled the size of the house, which, which we eventually kind of finished off a little bit so that it could be a usable space. We loved that house. We have this memory. of This is uh, Andrew when he was two, heading off to his first day at the Montessori school down the street. And, and that's kind of in front of, our, in front of our house, a typical brick home in Chicago. We loved that place. We had so many memories of that place. But even as we had kind of gotten used to being there, we started having to pay utilities. And then we started, to have, we started to have to fix things. Things started to break. There was property taxes. Some of, the, you know, some of the mortar between the bricks was chipping off, and areas of the grass needed to be attended to. You know, the roots of this tree were cre- creeping up a little bit too close to the house. There were wasp nests over here. You know, the wood on the deck was starting to splinter. We had to repair this and that. Just because you have a home doesn't mean that the work is over, right? (laughs) Those of you who own a home, you know this. And those of you who are saving money to eventually own a home, this is in your future. (laughs) The work has only just begun. There is ongoing work. Things that we need to continue to do so that 
the house can be maintained so that we can continue to live in such a way that we thrive in that place. Otherwise, the house would fall into disrepair. It would no longer serve the purposes for which it was purchased. It would no longer be what it was meant to be. Now, over the last couple of months, we've been looking through the book of Nehemiah and exploring what it means for us as a community of Christ followers to participate in building for the kingdom of God here in Simi Valley and beyond. The people under Nehemiah's leadership who have returned to Jerusalem had worked hard. They worked together. They were all in, and they completed the walls of Jerusalem so that Jerusalem was once again a respectable city. But the work of being the people of God together, being the community that was to be a blessing to the nations, to be that shining example of what God cared about, that work had just begun. Now, this morning we're going to take a look at what we call the ongoing task, the ongoing work of participating in what God is doing we're trying to figure out what it means for us to stay the course, to keep up where God has led us, just like a house or a car or even our physical bodies. There's maintenance to be done. We have to keep going and investing in it so that the work continues to thrive. Now, we're going to look here in the final chapter, chapter 13 of the book of Nehemiah, And here, I believe that we're going to find that God's people, we as God's people, are to stay faithful to the course that is set before us. That is, we are challenged to stay committed to God and stay committed to God's mission. I think we're challenged to do this when we realize the things that the people in Jerusalem here in chapter 13 were tempted to 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 do instead of staying on the path, the paths that were divergent, the things that took their attention away from what they were intending to be, what they were supposed to be. And this really breaks down into four issues here that Nehemiah begins to identify through this chapter. Now, we're going to come back to the first couple chapter, first couple verses in the chapter a little bit later, in part because the way that Nehemiah chapter 13 is structured, at first, Nehemiah lays out, well, here's kind of the things that we ended up doing. And then he lays out, here's the reasons why. Because I was gone for a little while. I was summoned back to the capital to be with the king, who was a close friend. And then I came back, and this is what I found. And so he's telling us a record. We get a record of what, God, what he found there, what were the issues there, the challenges that the community faced as it relates to staying on course. We pick up in Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, where he writes, Before this, Eliashib the priest um, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God in the temple. He was closely associated with Tobiah. If you remember, Tobiah was one of the troublemakers, one of the people that opposed the rebuilding of the wall. He was somewhat of a neighboring community's official maybe a, a type of a governor, a person of particular standing um, in the communities around them. And he had provided him, Tobiah, with a large room that was formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, 
and also the tithes of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. In other words, they basically set aside a room for Tobiah to be like an apartment, like, like it's his house. He had household goods inside the temple to be Tobiah's place. Tobiah was a person that was important. He had some standing, and people wanted to be in the good graces of people like Tobiah. Tobiah was respected, even if he opposed Nehemiah. He was somebody that people liked, and people who want, they wanted to like them. So they accommodated Tobiah. They made room for Tobiah. You know, we all like to be liked. It's part of our human nature. We like to be appreciated. We like to have people who are in authority in our lives approve of us. Peer pressure is something that we often talk about for youth. And certainly, those of you that are in in middle school or in high school, you know that there is peer pressure at school. You feel it. But even into adulthood, peer pressure does not end. It's something that we wrestle with and deal with our whole life long because the people around us have certain ways of doing things. There are people in our lives who would like for us to do certain things, and we want to please them. That's kind of built into the way we operate. But we're challenged by this because here in Nehemiah chapter 13, as they were trying to make good with Tobiah, to please Tobiah, they became distracted. That is, They were caught in this cycle of people-pleasing, of trying to make sure that Tobiah was feeling good, and then by proxy, then Tobiah would feel good about these people, and that there would be this kind of relationship, this reciprocal relationship that was there. This path of people-pleasing pulled them away from what they were intending to do, what they were supposed to do with the temple. That was one way that they were distracted away from their mission. The text goes on, and we're going to pick up again in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Oh, sorry, uh, verses 11 and, uh, 10 and 11, where he says, I also learned, and this is another thing that Nehemiah discovered, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. As you know, the people of Israel were to collect things, collect tithes and offerings. And part of that was to go to support the Levites who were in charge of maintaining the temple, teaching the law. They had not been given to them. And all of the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. In other words, they didn't have enough to support support them in the temple, so they had to go and do work, other work, rather than maintain the temple. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. We've, the people who were supporting the Levites were supposed to bring their grain, and this wasn't an easy task. Some of the fields were a little bit further away from the city, and so it meant that people would have to go on journeys, collecting their things, bringing the animals, bringing the grain, bringing the fruits over to the temple, both to feed the Levites and to provide things for the offerings. They were to give and give generously so that the worship that took place within their community for God could continue. Now, I'm not in the business of guilting people when it comes to our giving, 
but I do think that it's important for us to observe that it was a real thing for them to just neglect it, to forget, just as it can be with us. How we approach our charitable giving is kind of a lot like what was going on with the Israelites here. I don't think that when they, for, when they forgot to give and when they kind of ceased giving to the temple, that they did it maliciously. It wasn't like, you know, this is my grain. I'm going to keep it. I kind of imagine it like this. Like, one week, it, the time was coming for them to collect all their things and travel over to Jerusalem and drop it off. But that morning, something happened. You know, like the, the wagon, the wheel to the cart broke, and, and then somebody, you know, the, one of the main helpers got sick. And so, okay, you know, we'll, we'll fix it and we'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow came, and something else came up, and, and they just had to attend to it. And then another day comes, and another week comes, and they in, intended to do the right thing, but it was so much effort to have to go out of your way to do it. It wasn't necessarily out of greed or selfishness that they began to neglect giving. It seems to me that there could have been something both more mundane and more sinister, that they just kind of got lazy. It was no longer a priority. There were other things that just happened to be more important. And even though they knew it was important, it was too much effort to carry through with it. And so they ceased. They probably got busy with the day-to-day tasks and thought, I'm going to do it tomorrow. But tomorrow never came. We live in an era in our lives, in our society, where we increasingly try to find ways to be lazy. Right? We're really good at it. We're really good at getting lazy. And I'm not, you know, not going to be here and be like, we shouldn't turn over our things to the robots. But robotics, it saves us work. Microwave ovens save us work. Instant pots, who's got an instant pot? We use ours all the time. It saves us a whole lot of time because I don't want to sit there slaving in the kitchen for three hours to make something. We try to find modern convenience, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think there's something about the way that we are built as a society. We try to avoid doing more work, don't we? I love this quote um, by a cartoonist, Paul Terry, who says, whenever I feel the need to exercise, I lie down until it goes away. (laughs) That kind of sentiment is the sentiment that a lot of us carry in life. We all, I mean, some of you might really enjoy working out, okay? I'm looking at you, Jay. But we're not all built like Jay, right? Sometimes we just get tired and like, ah, I'm not going to do it. The point I'm trying to make is that it's easy for us to get lazy. We get lazy with our giving. We get lazy with our commitments to God and our commitments to God's mission because it's just easier that way. We have the path of laziness. There was the path of people-pleasing, and we're going to continue on in Nehemiah 13. 
In verse 15, he writes, In those days I saw people in Judea, in Judah, treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with the wine, grapes, and figs and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. The Sabbath. The Sabbath was one of those things in the book of the law that was patterned after the story of creation, that was set aside as a day to remember the Lord, a day for worship, a day to cut into the busy schedule of their lives and to trust in God's provision. You know, sometimes we have this uh, uh, flawed notion that today we are busier than ever before. If any of you grew up on a farm, and I didn't, but I hear that this is true, agricultural life was hard and busy. The people who were tending the fields, tending the vineyards, particularly in the ancient Near East, they had very full schedules. They had to keep working, but yet God had called them to stop periodically, to rest, to remember God. This is kind of the opposite of the laziness side of things. It's the path of busyness, being so busy that we are distracted away from the mission, that we fill our lives with so many things that we are no longer able to fully engage in what God is calling us to do. Back in uh, 2007, Stanford and Villanova had come together and they were doing some research on children and extracurricular activities and how many hours was sort of the ideal target. Now, I don't know if the research has changed since then, but back then, they estimated that a, the, the, the right balance without going too far was 20 hours a week of extracurriculars. Good heavens! If we tried to schedule 20 hours a week of extracurriculars into our life, that'd be 80. Okay, so we could double some things up, like sending some kids to the same activity. Maybe we can cut that down to 50, maybe 40. Who has time to spend an extra 40 hours a week shuttling kids to different activities? I know I don't. This kind of thing of living a busy life, however, isn't just reserved for parents of young children. In school, the same thing can happen, right? You've got your classes, and then you've got the sports that you might participate in. Maybe you participate in band or you practice an instrument. You've got all sorts of different commitments, and some of you need to make sure that you reserve a little bit of time for video games. Everything has its place, and things are busy. We just fill our schedule with so many things. We organize our lives differently from one another, but we can all share in that experience. We fill our lives with stuff. It's hard to take a break and rest, but part of the rhythm of Sabbath, of resting on Sunday, taking time to worship, is it breaks us of that and refocuses us and centers us on God. There was the path of busyness that drew people away from their mission here in Nehemiah chapter 13. The text goes on. 
And as we head into this, we're going to find that this fourth area that Nehemiah identifies in some ways kind of encapsulates sort of the spirit of the other three. He writes, Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And then he goes on to say, Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, had sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Now, to understand this requires a little bit of understanding of the context and what was going on here. The at issue isn't the mere fact that people were from other nations. After all, even Moab that's listed here, in important parts of their history, the grandmother of their great King David was a Moabite woman. So being a Moabitess by itself wasn't at issue. Also, it was not an issue of just the women because in the verse Verses in between, they talk about how your sons are marrying folks, your, your daughters are marrying the men from other nations too. And so this was something that was happening for both the men and the women. So why was this such an issue? It wasn't necessarily about ethnicity. It was about faith. When you look at what was talked about of King Solomon back in 1 Kings, um, the writer says, they were from nations which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. And this is talking about Solomon and his hundreds of wives. Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. That's the key phrase there. That was what the people of Israel were to guard against. It wasn't an issue if people were coming in and learning to become God-fearers or proselytes to people who were from the outside learning to follow the God of Israel. What was at issue was that if certain people were following other idols and other gods, that would inherently divide the hearts of the families and the people. This is what they were wrestling with. Through all of them is the path of the divided heart, having a divided attention, an attention that's not just focused on what God is doing, on who God is and what God is planning to do through God's people, but having their hearts stray one way or another, to have torn allegiances. It's hard, I'll admit, at times to hold firm to God and God's mission. Many of us are in relationships or we love people who just have very differing views than ourselves, differing opinions. There's no call to break from those relationships. If you may know in the book of Ezra and in Nehemiah, there were times when they broke some of the relationships. But that had to do with the, a specific point in time and a specific experience where they were desperately trying to hang on to their faith identity as a dwindling, dying people. So there was a specific thing happening there. I think for the rest of us, and even today, we're to acknowledge the challenge and to be aware of it and not to go into things blindly and allow our hearts to be divided, to go into it firmly focused on God. 
And it's not just our relationships. There are so many things that can distract us. Things like our love for material comforts. Things like the materials that wealth can afford. Do these things distract us? I know they distract me. This last week, there was a uh, 49-inch 4K TV that was 61% off on Amazon. I had recently heard on a sports radio show, they were having a conversation on what size TV is too small to host a Super Bowl party. And I thought about ours, and I was like, that's too small. Material things, they distract us from the things that are most important. Do you find yourselves addictively binge-watching videos on Netflix or Amazon Prime? Some of you do. You don't need to raise your hand. We're not here to guilt you. Sometimes we get attached to things, and it captures our imagination so much so that our hearts become divided. There are so many things that cause our heart to be divided. It can be our love of comfort and hence our laziness. It can be our love for working hard and finding our identity in our work. It can be people-pleasing. It can be the relationships that we're in. It can be so many different things. The divided heart. And so at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah says, we decided to exclude the foreigner from Israel. And what that means is they decided to exclude the outside religious influences from the life of their faith community. That says we are not going to bring in the practices of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. Foreigners were still welcome to come into the city and trade We find that all over in Nehemiah and in other parts of the Bible. We find, of course, as we have talked about before, that the book of the law had stipulations for how they welcomed foreigners and how they treated foreigners and how they kept, took care of them as if they're native-born, as it says in the Scriptures. And so it wasn't just about people being of a different background. For them it was, let us not be divided in our hearts as we approach God. One commentator says, in the end, the question is about a preservation of their identity. That's about staying on target. We'll get there in a second. The most of the surrounding people created statues and idols and surrogates for their deities. Culturally, the worry was likewise that in any mix of a cultural religious environment, invariably there would be too many compromises. And because the people of Israel were to be, by their cultural laws, a representative of God or a blessing to the nations, then cultural compromise was of the utmost concern. They reinforced their identity and their focus on God. Now, we live in a very different time, but the principle is the same. It is easy for us, like the people of Jerusalem in that day, to be distracted. We know the right thing. 
But there are so many paths that take us off course. And it's hard to stay focused. It's hard to stay on target. And this is what I think about when I think about staying on target. Do we have the audio from this? You hear him saying, stay on target, stay on target, and they're going in there to kind of battle the Death Star. And that's the idea, is that there they were. They had a target in mind, and they just had to keep their attention in the right place for as long as they needed to accomplish their mission. That's what they were trying to do. Stay on target. That's what we are called to do, to stay on target. And here the words of Hebrew chapter 12 are helpful for us. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the originator, and the perfecter of our faith. Now, the call isn't for us to become so tightly wound as Christians that we can't relax, that we have to have this intense focus all the time. What we need is a balanced rhythm that allows us to stay connected to God, that includes rest, that includes work, but in all of it is reminded of who we are in God and what we are here for, that is to make God known. What do you need to consider to stay on target? What do you need to look at in your own life to stay committed to God and God's mission in our world? On your Connect cards on the back, there's a few suggestions of things that you might want to consider. You might want to consider how the activities that you have filled your life with are either leading you to be more or less committed to God and God's mission. That's some work of very hard self-reflection. Maybe you need to ensure that you spend one day out of your week to take a restful pace, to allow time for prayer, for scripture, for fun, and for relaxation. Maybe you just need to start your mornings every day when you get out of bed and say, God, keep my attention fixed on you today. And just do that as a habit every morning. We are called, we are challenged to stay committed for the long haul. What is God doing here in Simi Valley through you as a church? You're in it for the long haul. We stay on target because God is calling us to a mission to make God known here in our community, to welcome others, to extend the love of God to anyone who will hear, to care for people, to participate in building for the kingdom of God here in Simi Valley. Friends, we are called to commit to this vision, not just today, not just while I'm here as your transitional pastor, but for the long run, so that God may be known, so that when two years from now, when the staff may be different, when there's a different person as the lead pastor, a different person here preaching more regularly, will you stay on target? 
Stay on target. You got that image in the, in the back of your mind from Star Wars. Stay on target. Stay on target. You are called to this mission, friends. Let's commit to it. Part of training ourselves to stay the course for the ongoing work is drawing our attention through regular practices that point us back to our God and the mission of God. And one of those practices that we routinely participate in is communion. Communion is, is important for a number of reasons, but one of the things that we gain from this ritual is having a space where we can reflectively think about what God has done. Because at the end of the day, there's no place more where God has more demonstrated who God is in grace, forgiveness, and self-sacrifice and victory than at the cross. There's no place that God's mission is more clearly demonstrated than at the cross. Because it is at the cross that we see the open arms of God extended to all. And that is what we celebrate in communion. That is what we're going to celebrate here this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you draw our attention to you and to your mission through the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, we confess as we approach this table that we have sinned, that our hearts have been divided that at times we've become lazy or at times we've become too busy to engage in what you are doing. But God, would you mold us as a church and as a faith community to be committed to stay on target? And God, would you use this time in communion to draw us, draw our eyes toward you and what you have done and what you are doing in this world? In Christ's name. Amen.